You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Closing line of that video is, you bought into a lie. And I think the lie is this, what you have and what you achieve is all that really matters in life. That's the lie. The lie is all about what you can gather. It's all about what you can achieve. This man in the video is like another young man we read about in the Gospel of Luke. It's a story about a young man who, like he had arrived, he had achieved, he had gathered a lot of stuff. He was like the poster illustration of what success looks like. But he also bought in a lie that kept him from the very life he was seeking and the fullness of life that Jesus offered. I want you to listen as I read this story out of the message paraphrase. And one day the local official, uh, one day one of the local officials asked him, good teacher, what must I do to deserve eternal life? Jesus said, why are you calling me good? No one is good, only God. You know the commandments, don't you? No illicit sex, no killing, no stealing, no lying, honor your father and mother. He said, I've kept them for as long as I can remember. When Jesus heard that, he said, there's only one thing left to do. Sell everything you own and give it away to the poor. You'll have riches in heaven, then come follow me. This was the last thing the official official expected to hear. He was very rich and became terribly sad. He was holding on tight to a lot of things, not about to let them go. Seeing his reaction, Jesus said, do you have any idea how difficult it is for people who have it all to enter God's kingdom? It's easier to say, it's easier to thread a camel through the needle's eye than to get a rich person into God's kingdom. Then who has any chance at all, the others asked. No chance at all, Jesus said, if you think you can pull it off by yourself. Every chance in the world, if you trust in God to do it. Now the issue for this young man who had achieved success, this rich young ruler that Jesus was interacting with, the issue was idolatry. There were temporary things that were of greater value to him than this, than the life that Jesus offered. There were things, they were, there was stuff in his life that had like greater precedence and priority in his life than the very thing that he was seeking after. He couldn't let go of them. He was not willing to, to give like Jesus this place of priority that, that he demands. As I've said throughout this God's at War series, God will not be second. He'll not be third. He'll not be fourth. He'll not take some other place in your life. God desires, God demands, God deserves this first place. First place in your life. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, the scripture reads like this, You shall have no other gods before me. In Matthew 22, Jesus said that we're to love the Lord our God with, get this, with all of our heart, all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. Now to follow Jesus doesn't mean you have to sell everything you have and give it to the poor, but to follow Jesus does mean this, that you embrace the lordship, his lordship of your life. That you make this decision, you make this decision that he's going to take the priority of your life, that he's the one who's going to call the shots in your life. You know, last week we talked about the gods of pleasure. If we're not careful and cautious, we can take the good gifts that God's blessed us with and we can take the gifts and turn them into gods. That's the problem. Take the good gifts and turn them into gods. We can take things that are, are good and far good and give them a priority and precedence over the one true God. And when that happens, we abuse the gift. And the very things that God's blessed us with become destructive in our lives. They're destructive because we give them a place that, 
that God never intended for them to have. What we discovered last week is, is that we want to enjoy the gifts, but we don't want to turn them into gods. Enjoy the gifts, but don't turn them into gods. Tell your neighbor that. Hey, enjoy the gifts, but don't turn them into, into gods. Go ahead and tell them. You know, God is what we sacrifice for and what we pursue. It's anything we elevate above the pursuit and priority of the one true God. Anything can become an idol in our lives once it becomes a substitute for God. Anything, anyone, when it takes the place that God desires, that God deserves, that thing, that person has become an idol in our lives. And here's the challenge. Oftentimes it's not the bad things. It can even be the good things, the good things in our lives that we've allowed to take precedence over God. See, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves chasing things and missing God. That happens a lot in our culture today. Individuals are chasing things, temporary things, and they're missing God. And what we don't want to do is get so caught up in, in like laying up earthly treasures that we're not laying up eternal treasures. And what we want to do, we want the focus of our lives to be this, that we, that we use all that God's blessed us with to do this to honor Him. We want to use the stuff of life well. We want to be good stewards. We just don't want to worship the stuff of life. So today we want to, we want to talk about a second set of gods that I've identified as the gods of power. So last week we talked about the gods of pleasure. Today we want to talk about the gods of power. The gods of power work from one shared premise. And here's the premise. We can take care of ourselves and we can handle all of our needs. In other words, it's, it's this statement, I'm, I can do just fine myself. The gods of power deceive us to believe that we can live self-sufficient rather than God-dependent. The gods of power can, can sub, subtly mislead us, and before we know it, we can, have, we can have divided allegiance. We can have what I call a divided heart. And the greater problem with the gods of power being success, money, and achievement is that our culture her culture actually applauds these gods. I mean, like, if you can gain these, if you can gain success, money, and achievement, then, like, you can get your picture on the front of Money Magazine or Success Magazine or Forbes. Or, or if you're in my role, you get invited to a lot of conferences to speak. Or, or, or people applaud you. People want to people be where you're at. Why? Because you have what? You have success. You have money. You have achievement. And it's these... Gods, if we're not careful, that can be so sought after that they actually lead our hearts away from God. I believe the very things that God would want to give us again for our good can be that that, that misleads us and wrecks us. Listen to what Jesus said to a group of religious leaders who had power, they had position, they, they had title. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 7, 8, and 9, Jesus said, These people honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. See, these leaders were saying the right things. Like they knew the right thing to say. They knew all the right phrases. They knew all the lingo. But here's the problem. He said, your hearts. Your hearts are far from me. See, the heart of the issue is always the issue of the heart. The heart of the issue it's always the issue of the heart. When our heart is, devo is, is devoted or committed to something that holds a greater value in our lives than God, this is what's happened. We've just created an idol. We created something that we've placed above God. So let's look a little deeper into these gods that can, 
that can subtly mislead us. The first is the God of success. You know, like the other little G gods that we've looked at, there's nothing wrong with with success. In in and of itself, success is not bad. Success is good as long, here's the key, as long as it doesn't become a God in our lives. You know, 3 John 1, 2, the scripture reads like this, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. In other words, John's saying here, I pray that you would find success. And Deuteronomy 28 verse 1 says this, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all of His commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all of the nations of the earth. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. So God's saying, if you choose me and you follow me, I'm going I'm to give you success. I'm going to set you up. Interesting. And what happens is that we're not careful, the very thing God blesses us with becomes that again that what? It misleads us. It deceives us. It tells us that, like, wow, success is more important. And we, before we know it, we find ourselves like chasing success. I mean, that's what happened in the, the story with the rich young ruler. And we don't know whether he had inherited this wealth or whether he had just like worked hard, been diligent, had a lot of abilities. Somehow he came to have. Success. Somehow he came to have like money. He came to have position. He had wealth. And what's interesting, if you think about that story with a rich young ruler, what kept him from the very thing that he wanted? What kept him from eternal life? What kept him from following Jesus? Was it not his success? He couldn't lay it down. Success had such of a hold on him that he couldn't lay down that which was temporary to have that which was eternal. What's the problem? It's the problem of idolatry. So, so what is success? Our culture defines success as the prestige that comes from attaining an elevated social status. Success is finding out, the, finding out how the score is kept, and then it's scoring. That's success in our culture today. Success in our world is, is coming to the place that others look up to you and others applaud you for what you've achieved. Here's the problem with success is it can feed our ego and it can intoxicate us to the point that we actually lose sight of our need for God. The problem with success is that the God of success invites you to save yourself instead of depending on Jesus to do it. This is one of the reasons I, I believe that most successful people have like the hardest time following Jesus. Because being a devoted disciple of Jesus means that you must acknowledge your need of Him. You must acknowledge your own helplessness, that that you can't rescue yourself. It's not easy for successful people to admit they need help. Yet that's the place we have to come to. This is why Bill Mayer, the TV pundit, says this of the crucifixion. I just don't get it. The thought of someone else cleansing me of my sin is ridiculous. I don't need anyone else to cleanse me. I can cleanse myself. And that is so, that is so wrong. Or, or Warren Buffett, after donating 85% of his $44 billion to charity, would say this, there's more than one way to heaven, but this is a great way. Again, that sounds good, but it's so wrong. So in this world, success puts the emphasis on being self-reliant and self-sufficient, acting like if we got it all figured out. 
But Jesus redefines a successful life as one that humbly says to God, I, I can't do this on my own. I need help. Like the song we sang this morning, Jesus, I need you. Every day, I need you. Like every minute of every day, every day of every week, every week of every year. So hear me clearly. There's nothing wrong with success. There's nothing wrong with being blessed. Success is good. Success is not bad. So if you've had some level of success, then hear me, celebrate it. Have a party. Invite me. I'll come and celebrate with you. Celebrate it, but don't worship it. Don't make it a God in your life. Enjoy the success, but keep it in its right place. So here's a few, here's a few heart check questions for you this morning. What's your operating definition for success, and does your definition line up with God's? See, success is, a, success is all about using what God's blessed us with to love Him and to love others. That's success. Here's a second question. I believe that success is hearing Jesus say to you one day, well done, good and faithful servant. So how will Jesus measure your success? The success of your life. So again, success is good. It's not bad. Just keep it in its right place. Now here's a second prevalent God in our culture that's warring for our hearts. It's the God of money. The almighty dollar. You know, the God of money like, has been around for a long time. In times past, it was called gold and silver. Before that, it was called like heads of cattle or, or whatever you had to trade. And these days, it goes as cash, dough, bacon, Benjamin's, moolah, and like the list goes on and on. It could be the plastic card you have in your wallet, or it could be a file name portfolio. But whatever form this God takes, this is what I know. It can be deceptive. And here's the problem. We love money. We work for money. We all want more money. And if we have more money, here's the problem. We never have enough. Come on, at least say it for your neighbor. We never have enough what? Money. But there's something within us. Or let me... I'll take responsibility. There's something within me that always wants more money. And that's why this thing called money that individuals chase after has such power today. And money's the way that uh, in our culture today, it's the way that we keep score. Whoever has the most money is the one that's winning. And we're chasing after money. But listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. This is one of those scriptures that gets right into our world. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In other words, you can't have a divided heart. You can't chase money and at the same time chase God. It's interesting, throughout Scripture, money is consistently portrayed as God's chief competition. It's the chief challenge. We can choose to chase after money thinking it will bring security when our security should be found in God. I remember, this is so clear in my mind, I even remember the very room I was sitting in 
When our building was back on Main Street, we had some offices that were downstairs in the basement. I was sitting in that office. The year was 1990. I was 25 years old, and I had my first meeting ever with a financial advisor. Someone to come in and help me figure this thing out called money. And I remember when I'm sitting at my desk, he's sitting across from my desk, and he asked me this question, what do you want to achieve? What's your goal? I'm 25. I said, I want to be financially independent. In other words, I I said, "I, I, I want to have enough money that I don't have to worry. Now, there's nothing wrong with being financially independent. But what I was saying, although I wasn't really saying it, is I want to have so much money that I really don't have to trust God so I can take care of myself. At 25, that's what I was saying. I'm going to be financially independent. And again, that whole concept of being financially independent, again, I don't think it's bad if you've achieved that place. Then I, I applaud that. I celebrate that for you. But here's the challenge. If we're not careful, we can so put our trust in money that we're not trusting in God. And at that point, this thing called money has become an idol in your life. Now, what we know is that money's not evil, right? And money's like amoral. I mean, it, money's just, uh, you've heard me talk about this before. Money's just a tool. Money's just something that, 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 we, that we use. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to take this tool and turn it into a master. Money's a wonderful tool, but it's a horrible master. So this is what I challenge you to. Use the money tool wisely. Just don't worship it. Don't chase, don't give it the place of precedence and priority over the one true God. So here's, here's again, a few heart check questions for you. Just to see, like, how are you doing with this thing called money that could become a God in your life? How often do you compare what you have and how much you have and how much you make with others? See, the world teaches us to measure one another by payroll. The more we make, the more important we are. are. Therefore, it's, it's easy to find ourselves slipping into the lie that we are what we earn. I'm going to tell you, what you earn doesn't make you who you are. So, how often do you compare how much you make with what others make? Here's a second question. How much, how much anxiety does finances add to your life? Because if you're constantly consumed with money and not having enough money, that might reveal a problem. I would encourage you to take the FPU class. Just started last Wednesday night. It's not too late to get in. But if you're constantly anxious about, worried about, stressed about money, then maybe, maybe this thing called money has become a God in your life. Here's a third great heart check question. What's your attitude toward giving, toward generosity. See, if you're consistently challenged with being generous and you're constantly trying to gather more and hold on to what you have, and again, that might reveal a heart problem. That might reveal a place where like this thing called money has become a God in your life. You know, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18 Scripture says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant. Listen, 
If God gives us the ability to gain wealth, to gain money, then money can't be bad. But it's what we do with the money. So again, use the money tool wisely. Just don't worship it. Don't chase after it. Don't, don't allow it to deceive you and mislead you. Hasn't it so easy in our culture today to be chasing after money and miss out on God? Here's a third God that can, mischie- that can mislead us, and it's the God of achievement. Now, achievement, like, like the other two gods of power, it's not bad. It's actually good. Achievement's good if it doesn't become, again, a God in our lives. You know, if you think about it, from a young age, we're trained to achieve, right? In the classroom, if you do good in your studies, if you get a 100 on the exam, you get a smiley face, right? What? You're rewarded, rewarded for achieving on the ball field or on the basketball court. If you achieve... And what? You're awarded in the marketplace today, in your workplace. If you excel, if you achieve, then what happens? You get rewarded. You get the bonus. You get the raise. You get the promotion. And not only are we trained to achieve, but we also find great satisfaction in achievement. I'm one of those weirdly wired guys who has a checklist because I love to check stuff off. Sometimes I just write stuff on the list so I can check it off. Anyone else weirdly wired like that? I, this is my confession. My name's Farrell, and I am an achievement addict. We're not careful. Again, nothing wrong with achievement. Nothing wrong with excelling. Matter of fact, God, may God bless you. May the Holy Spirit stir the gifts within you and may you excel in your place of work. May you excel in your place of life. May you be the best wherever it is that you find your place of employment. Nothing wrong with achievement, but don't worship it. Don't allow what you achieve to become that which identifies or defines who you are. Again, if we're not careful, we can get distracted, we can get deceived with achievement, and we're chasing after titles and positions, and this is what happens. God gets left behind. And we find ourselves chasing the temporary, and we miss the eternal. And we we have a story of this. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, there's two sisters, Mary and Martha, live in Bethany, and Jesus has come to Bethany, and he decides to stop off at Martha's home, share a meal, to have some fellowship, to have some hangout time. Um, and in the midst of this, we see Martha, who I think Martha's addicted with what I'm addicted with. She's addicted with achievement. That's how I read the story. She's focused. She's about making things happen. She's about getting things done. She's about all of the details being in place. And I want you to listen to how this story reads. Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 39. She, being Martha, had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. 
She came to him being Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work all by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. In this story, Martha's distracted. She's so focused, like on the task at hand, making things happen in the kitchen, covering all the details that she misses. She misses what really matters. She's, she's upset with her sister Mary because it seems like Mary's doing nothing. I mean, like she's just sitting on her duff like, come on, Jesus. Don't you see the inequity here? Why don't you tell my sister to get up, get into the kitchen, because we got things that need to be taken care of. In other words, Martha wanted Jesus to correct and direct Mary. Yet Jesus kind of turns the table and he brings the word of direction to Martha to say, Martha, don't. Don't be so consumed. Don't be so distracted with all of these details. That's like one thing that really matters. And Mary has, has chosen what's best. See, here's the challenge. The God of achievement keeps us from following Jesus by distracting us with like all of the things that need to get done. We're so busy achieving that God gets squeezed out of our lives. We didn't mean for it to be like that. We didn't mean for it to play out that way in our day. But because we're addicted to achievement and we're addicted to checking things off the list, we get so busy doing, again, not even bad things, good things. But in the midst of that, what happens is like there's no room left for God. That's one of the disciplines that I've directed in my life because I'm addicted to achievement. One of the disciplines that I've established in my life is I get up early every morning and I take the first part of my morning and I get into the Word and I hang out with God and just have some private times of worship because this is what I know. If I I say, and I've played this out many times in my days, if I say, you know, I'm going to I'll get to that later, God. I'll get to that later. I'll I'll read my Bible later. Then this is what I can tell you. I get into my day, and I get to running so fast in my day, trying to check all of the things off my list because I get this weird satisfaction from that, that this is what I can tell you. This is just the way it works out in my life is God gets squeezed out of my day. Did I intend for that to happen? No. Did I set out for that to happen? No. But that's what happens. Why? Because I, 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 I allowed distraction. And then there's no space or place left for God. See, when we worship the God of achievement, getting things done and getting things done right, oh, I love it when things are done right. Man, it, it becomes like almost more important than anything else or anyone else. We become deceived and believe that, that our achievements define who we are. That's the illusion and, and deception of achievement. Our tendency is to tie our identity, our worth, to what we achieve. Therefore, this is what happens. We chase achievement, and before we know it, we've given achievement precedence and priority over God. 
And it deceives us. Hear me this morning. God doesn't want our resumes. He wants us. God doesn't want your resume. What does He want? He wants you. That's why He would say to Martha, Martha, all that stuff in the kitchen, like it's really not that important. Mary has chosen that which is better. So if you're an achievement addict like myself, consider this your wake-up call. Like stop to reflect, to think about who you are and who you'll be when all the earthly accomplishments have dried up and blown away. Consider the words of Jesus to Martha and don't just choose what is good. Choose what's better. So again, a a couple questions for reflection. How has your life up to now been defined by achievement? Just think about your life. How has your life up to this moment been defined by achievement? Listen, you are more than what you do. You are more than what you can accomplish. Here's a second question. In a culture that applauds achievement, how do you prioritize God in your life? How do you make sure that God doesn't get squeezed out, that God doesn't get the leftovers, so to speak? You know, here's the reality. Every day we're processing life in a culture that's evaluating us. Think about it. We're being evaluated on a daily basis. There's three questions. Here's the three questions that our culture is evaluating you by. What's your success? How much money do you have? And what have you achieved? That's, that's the world we're processing life in. And it's these three questions that can mislead us and have us chasing stuff. Again, stuff that's so temporary. Their culture has elevated success, money, and achievement as the goal for our life. But listen, it's possible to have all three of those and still not have life. Have success, to have money, to have achievement. To have titles, to have all of the plaques hanging on the wall. It's possible to have all of that and still not have life. Fullness of life is found in seeking Jesus as we use what we've been given. So here's the deal. If you've gained success, if you've gathered money, or if you've experienced achievement, then again, celebrate it. But don't worship it. Don't make it a God in your life. Figure out how you can leverage the success, the money, and the achievement to honor God and serve others. And then you'll be taking that which God has blessed you with and using it in such a way that it'll never become a God in your life. Why? Because you'll be rightly using what God's blessed you with. You know what I've come to discover is God finds those who are faithful with success, with money, with achievement. When those who can hold those three things in the right place, you know what he does? God is so amazing. He he gives more. Out of our faithfulness, he, he gives more. He gives more opportunity. He brings greater doors for us to walk through 
that not only bring good for us, but brings blessing to others. So again, enjoy these things. Just don't worship them. I, I want to close again with the Psalm in one thirty. Psalm in 139, verse 23 and 24. We've looked at this verse as we've closed each week, but I think it's a great verse of Scripture for us to pray. It reads like this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. In other words, God, look in here. Hey, uh, other people look at your life, and they, they see the outward appearance of maybe the car you're driving, the house you live in, the clothes you wear. They see all of that stuff. But they can't see into your heart. But God can see. God looks where? At the heart. The heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's any offensive way in me. See if there's any gods in my life, specifically the gods of power, the gods of success, money, accomplishments, achievements. For God, do that even in this moment as we just sit quiet before you. God, search our hearts. Lord, we live in a culture that so applauds success, that so applauds money, that so applauds achievement. We live in a culture that's that's really conditioned us, it's trained us to chase after success, to chase after money, to chase after achievement. God, none of those things are bad. They're really good. But they can so deceive us. They can so, God, squeeze you right out of our lives. So, God, search our hearts this morning. If there's any place in our hearts, God, where we've allowed these three things to take precedence over you. Lord, this morning we humbly repent. God, forgive us for taking these good things, but even the things that you've blessed us with, and allowing them, God, to squeeze you out of our lives, allowing them to take precedence over you. God, forgive us, we pray. God, forgive me for being an achievement addict. Lord, this morning we simply declare you are the one that we want. You are the one that we need. This morning we simply declare, God, we we embrace your Lordship over our lives. And Lord, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Lord, as we process our lives, help us to have a right perspective. Holy Spirit, help us. Lord, what I know is, Lord, in this culture we live in, we're, we're tempted with this stuff all the time. Holy Spirit, help us to keep right perspective of success, money, and achievement. May we use these things, God, to honor you every day in our lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.